But God did not issue that prohibition against one tree because he assumes his students, or better, his covenant partners, are ignorant and need to be found out, as we so often, I think, assume when we go into tests. Instead, God built humanity with the inborn ability to reflect his goodness as those who are made in his image. Adam and Eve were fully capable of being good, and so had everything that they needed in order to keep this command and anything else, had they chosen to do so. So the main point today is that God has always offered the reward of incorruptible life and everlasting communion with him by way of covenant. God has always offered the reward of incorruptible life and everlasting communion with him by way of covenant. And we're going to think about this in three points, the trees, the trial, and the triumph. So the first point is the trees. And you might guess that this is about the two trees that we see described in this text before us uh, from verse 4 through verse 17 uh, broadly. So this point argues that the trees in the Garden of Eden offer insight uh, on God's relationship with humanity, which has always been by way of a covenant. Now, a covenant is simply a, a formal relationship. I know that that can sound like a big word, but it's not that big of a concept. We make covenants when we sign agreements to to buy a house or a car, uh, when we take a job and agree on the obligations that we have and the rewards that we will receive, and when we get married uh, by legally promising that we will always love each other. So, covenant may sound like a, a big theological word, but it's simply refers to a relationship, a relationship that is official and binding. And especially Genesis 2 presents God's relationship with Adam as a covenant, a relationship, but one in which God offered greater blessings to Adam than he already had, but required of Adam Adam, general and focused obedience. The tree of life indicates the offer of those greater blessings, but the tree of knowledge indicates the condition of focused obedience. Now, one indicator, uh, and this is really interesting stuff, I think, that that, uh, of a covenant relationship between God and Adam is actually God's name in Genesis 2. So throughout Genesis 1, the Creator is described simply as God, Elohim in Hebrew, which is the the general way that we refer to God. I mean, we can refer to other religions worshiping a God, small g, and so it's a general term. But when we come to Genesis 2-4, the tone changes and starts referring to the Lord God throughout this passage or Yahweh Elohim 
right? Yahweh is God's personal name, Exodus 3.14, or, or perhaps better, the name by which His covenant people know Him, Exodus 6, verses 4 to 6. And so, Yahweh as revealed here as God's covenant name shows that this account is about God in covenant, in an official relationship with His people. And we, we've already considered uh, in previous weeks some of the basic features of humanity's covenant relationship with God, right? First, first we are made in God's image, which means that we have an ethical obligation uh, to show His goodness, to show God's goodness by acting in accord with His character that is stamped in us as people made to reflect God. So first, we have this ethical obligation. Second, we were made for everlasting communion with God. God consecrated the Sabbath to mark our time for communion with Him. And He built the Garden of Eden as the place for communion with Him. And everything about these texts drives towards the purpose of our communion with God. And so these two aspects of ethical obligation and special communion with God characterize the basic features of our covenantal relationship with God. And these features are the obligations uh, and blessings of our covenant relationship with God, like the basics of a job contract, right? We're supposed to reflect God, and we have communion with God, obligation and reward. But the two special trees in Genesis 2 mark a further dimension of our covenant relationship with God. Now, although Adam already had amazing blessings in this first covenant, God is rich in kindness and offered even greater blessings to Adam. Genesis 2, 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9, describes how God planted the garden in Eden for Adam to dwell there. And then verse 9 states that the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the, these two trees function to add a new dimension to Adam's covenant relationship with God. Think of this principle that we're going to explore uh, of offering greater blessings like, uh, and so perhaps this is especially for the kids, like a parent instructing a child to clean their room. Not that any of our kids here ever have to clean their rooms. Uh, but in, a parent instructs a child to clean their room before watching TV with the family for the evening. But there is then the offer that if they do it quickly they can also have ice cream, right? So the trees show that communion with God has always been offered at the end of our work, like time to commune with our family 
after our job is done. But God offered even higher blessings through the tree of life, a specific aspect to the task that gives us something extra, like ice cream. So, then in that regard, the tree of life, well, it was a sacrament that symbolized God's offer to Adam of greater blessings. Adam had a wonderful life. and None of this is to disparage the things Adam had. He had a wonderful life in Eden with all that he could want. And yet, Adam had the, the capability, the possibility to disobey, to fall into sin and lose God's favor. We know that because he did. The tree of life, though, signified God's offer to confirm Adam in full, everlasting communion with God in indestructible and incorruptible life by the terms of their covenant, their official relationship. So in Genesis 3.22, I'll read this, but you can scroll there or turn there. Uh, In Genesis 3.22, God casts Adam and Eve out of the garden because they sinned, uh, and then says, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so we, we see there that God removed Adam from access to the tree of life so that he wouldn't live forever. That was the purpose. And if Adam had eaten of this tree, then he would have lived forever. The tree sacramentally sealed the offer of of incorruptible life in indestructible communion with God. God's purpose for humanity was communion, and he offered us unbreakable, heightened communion by way of covenant. The the tree of life offered a reward of higher communion, even than what we had by creation. But the tree of knowledge tested Adam's obedience as the means to achieve, to attain that blessed communion. Like parents might offer time together and ice cream for a child's obedience... So too, God has given us blessings. God God gave Adam blessings and offered even more. And that does tell us something important, right? This is not just uh, an aspect of, that's an interesting feature of of the Scripture storyline, although certainly it is. This tells us something about God himself, does it not? God is inexhaustible in his goodness. Right? You see it. Even, even when God has given perfect blessings, like He had given to Adam in creation, even when God has given perfect blessings, He is capable of giving even more and even better blessings. And so this, even in itself, reminds us that God is inexhaustible 
in his goodness. The trees focused Adam's covenantal relationship with God. That's what we've seen so far, but now we need to think about the trial focused around these trees. And so we've noted the, the general contours of God's covenant relationship with Adam. But Genesis 2, 15 to 17, puts our attention on the details and the events of that covenant. So let's read these verses together. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So although Adam was responsible generally and inescapably to reflect God's image, his character, and, as we've seen in Genesis 1, to spread the garden across the earth, God assigned this extra command to focus, to specify the covenant directly upon Adam's obedience. Right? This is a simple command. And if Adam can keep, can obey this one thing, then the covenant comes to completion. As in Genesis 3.22, Adam would have eaten from the tree of life had he not given into the serpent's temptation, but was prevented from eating because he sided with Satan. The tree of knowledge then was, was the turning point of Adam's trial of obedience by which he could obtain that unbreakable communion with his God. And this is part of this focus upon this, this task of obedience, uh, this test of obedience, better, uh, is partly why Reformed theology has, call, has long called this first relationship the covenant of works. Now, it may seem odd, though, uh, that God would make a tree the test of Adam's obedience, right? It's kind of uh, unexpected in a way. One tree seems so indifferent, doesn't it? When Adam could eat from them all. He has these all. Why does it matter to God if he eats from this one? And that was, though, exactly the point of this test. God assigned a tree, this one tree, as a test of Adam's covenant obedience to expose sin entirely for exactly what it is. Wicked and insane rebellion against God. Right? Adam had nothing to gain by eating this one tree. He had all the trees except this one. But he had everything to lose. Why would he do it? 
because sin is wicked and insane rebellion against our God. His decision, Adam's decision, then was entirely about whether he would obey God or love evil. John Calvin explained it this way, This law is assigned to him as a sign of his subjection, since it would matter nothing to God if he had eaten whatever fruit he pleased. Therefore, the prohibition of the one tree was an examination of his obedience. The issue then in the tree of knowledge of good and evil was whether Adam would choose to decide for himself what is good and what is evil or whether he would accept what God had told him was good and evil. This tree was then a trial of Adam's obedience, a probation of sorts, to obtain higher blessings. This test is clear. It happened in the text. But we can say more about the reward within this trial. If Adam ate from the tree of life, he, he would have lived forever. I, I think that that's clear from the text we've considered so far. But the New Testament sheds uh, extra light upon what kind of life he could have obtained by this obedience. So we read 1 Corinthians 15 uh, and verses 42 to 49. Uh, in those verses, Paul interpreted Adam's original condition and, and our fallen condition in some ways by explaining that even though humanity's first condition included a perishable body, and ours is even more perishable, does perish, there was the prospect of an incorruptible spiritual body. Right? In verses 44 to 45, citing Genesis 2-7, did you hear the, the citations when we read it, citing Genesis 2-7, Paul wrote, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And really, that should probably be translated, uh, became a natural person, the last Adam became a life-giving spiritual person to sort of bring out the correspondence in the language that's already been used. But the, the point, yeah. Adam had the natural body uh, by which he could, as he chose to do, disobey. But there was the prospect that he could have obtained that incorruptible, the spiritual body. People, people, Human persons did not die before the fall, but they they could die if they sinned. Uh, and we know that because they did. First uh, Corinthians fifteen says 
that there was a spiritual body beyond the possibility of sin that God offered to the first Adam. The trial, then, was whether Adam would effectively and pointedly reflect the image of God by obeying his Maker in all things, particularly in choosing the right tree from which to eat. There was a choice before him. Do you want to eat the tree of life or the tree of knowledge? And he chose poorly. The covenant, this covenant offered infinite rewards. And note this. People ask, what's with this command? It seems so odd. Right. God offered infinite rewards for minimal obedience. One piece of fruit. And communion with God was at stake. And Adam went with the fruit. But, it's the bad news. We can think about the good news in our last point. The triumph. The trouble with what we've considered so far, right, is that we know... Adam failed his test. Despite being made upright in righteousness, uh, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, so that he was fully able uh, to be and to remain good, he chose the forbidden tree and cast us all into sin. His choice as our first representative put us all under the curse tied to that first tree. And that can leave us with a little bit of despair, I think. We are left under a curse because Adam represented us and took us to the wrong tree. And what are we to make then of our situation. We might feel that it isn't fair that we suffer the consequences for one man's poor actions. God cast Adam and Eve from the garden which left us blocked from the tree of life. And so we suffer the burden of his sin in many ways, and we are counted as sinners because he was a sinner. Now, we may feel it's not, that it's not fair that we too are cast aside from communion, and yet ask yourself how often every day do you make the same choice? How many times do we set aside better communion with God, a better experience of God's grace, and we cash that in for the delights of the world, fleeting pleasures of our age. And so we really should ask the question, well, perhaps... It seems unfair to me that because Adam sinned, I'm a sinner 
and bear the curse. Would I have done any better? Adam was, after all, God's appointed representative, fully equipped to do all that he was called to do. There wouldn't have been a better representative, including you. And yet, still so many of us, despite that, try to revert to that original arrangement of the covenant of works. Don't we? Even even genuine Christians have this impulse to put ourselves back in Adam's shoes and try to earn our blessings from God. Don't we? We seem to think that if we if we try hard enough, if we push ourselves to be kind enough, if we love people enough, if we read our Bibles frequently, if we feed the homeless and go to church, then God will love us and will welcome us into His presence because of that. And don't we think that way? God, why am I having a bad day? I read my Bible. But we see that Adam, in his integrity, in his uprightness, was not even committed enough to serve God well enough regarding a piece of fruit to earn blessings from God. So do we really think that in our sinful and lost condition that we could perform the whole law well enough to punch our way through the gates of heaven? We do have to remember that Adam already had God's love and favor, but he just had, he was just capable of earning higher blessings than that. We, on the other hand, stand under condemnation. We start on bad terms with God. Rebels against His holiness and enemies against His kingdom. We are the children who did not clean our rooms quickly or slowly but tossed more rubbish around the entire house. We are the students who had everything we needed to pass the exam. The answers were given to us, shown to us, and even laid out before us, but we tore the exam into pieces, dropped it in front of the teacher, and spit in his face. And so we cannot depend on works and our goodness to establish our blessings before God. We have to find another way. We must not try to clean ourselves before God, but must find a path to have our sins removed from us. But there is hope for that. Just just as Adam closed the way to everlasting life 
by a tree, Christ has opened it for you by a tree. Just as Adam gave himself to a tree and brought the curse, so Christ gave himself to a tree and has removed our curse. In Galatians 3.13, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 21 that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So to show us that when Christ went to the cross, he became a curse for us. He bore our curse in his body so that by his wounds, we would be healed. Right? The, the application here is that each and every one of you, us, me included, likely needs a new reason, at least sometime, and at least as a reminder, a new reason for Christian holiness and the pursuit of it. Your faithfulness will not buy God's love or his blessings, and yet we pretend like it will so often. So quit serving him to try to bribe him for his gifts. It will not work. Serve him because, not because you're trying to get something from him, but because he has already given you so much. Christians were under guilt. In Christ we are under grace. And therefore now we live in gratitude. In other words, your good deeds are not the stairway to heaven, but they are the means of renewing our task to reflect God's goodness into the world. God does not ask us to earn his favor, but he grants it freely to us in Christ. In the new covenant, communion with God is by grace and not by works. And covenant activities strengthen our experience of grace and evidence and offer grace to the world around us. But not only does Christ remove the curse of one tree, he indeed brings us all the way to the tree of life. That sacrament of everlasting, unbreakable communion with our God. Jesus says in Revelation 2.7, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. As in Genesis 3.22, we must... attain the right, the ability to eat from that tree. But Revelation twenty two fourteen tells us how blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to eat the tree of life and that they may enter 
the city by the gates. The triumph belongs to Christ, but he grants it to us by grace. As the last Adam, he earned the right to eat from that tree, but he passes the fruit to his people. God is the good teacher, but Christ has passed the exam for us and lets us gain from his reward, even if we should not. We gain access to that tree by washing our robes, by having our sins cleansed by Christ. By being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we gain access to that tree of life, being switched by faith from in Adam to in Christ. And I suppose the question here is very simply, is that you? Right? Are you washed? Have you come to Christ that he might cleanse you and grant to you the right to eat of the tree of life? If you have not, do you not see how there is such a correspondence between what was set before Adam? Infinite rewards of everlasting, unbreakable communion with God for something that should seem very minimal. Placing your trust in the Savior. Why would you cast that aside? If you are a Christian, do we not see how wonderful this is? That Christ feeds His people his sheep, as he has promised to do. Right? He grants to us to eat of the tree of life. He welcomes us into his eternal kingdom. He's given you the right to eat of the tree. There's nothing left to obtain. And so even here now, we wait, certainly, to be handed that probably real piece of fruit. And yet we know we have all of the spiritual blessings already that it represents. That you have spiritual rest with your God. Everlasting communion. Because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we do look at this text and wonder at how um, sinful we are, really. From the beginning, Adam turned down everlasting blessed communion with you over something so minimal. And here and now we are offered blessed and everlasting communion with you for something so minimal, trusting in Christ. And yet we know that there are those who would turn this away. This beautiful, wonderful, unimaginable offer, too good to be true.
How could we ever refuse it? And yet some do. And so we pray that you, God, right now, who are sovereign over everything spiritual and material, that you would be changing hearts even in this moment. That you, God, would bring people to faith. And that you would help your people to rest, knowing that even as we have yet to partake, you have given us the right to eat of the tree of life. We will enter your city by the gates because you have washed us in the blood of Christ. You have given us his robe. And so we stand before you, righteous, accepted, and welcome. And we do pray that that would fill us with new hope, with new rest, and with gratitude that will drive our service. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.